Carol DeCamp and sign up for that uh, special outing in September. As most of you know, I'm from Erie and served a church there for 35 years, and a tragedy happened this week in Erie. One of our staff pastors there, Dick Page, his daughter was involved in a murder-suicide in Erie on Thursday. And our church back in, in Erie, Grace Church, is in a lot of grief today as they're ministering and, and around the Page family. And I know that it would mean the world if he knew I could tell him that a thousand plus here at Old North, a sister church, are praying for his family. We don't know the details yet about when the funeral will be, but it is just the deepest valley that you can imagine that they're going through. And my heart is crushed as I, as I think about that right now. And so we want you to, to support the Page, Pastor Page family and the church and uh, as they go through this time together. Finally, as you're taking the offering, a video will be on the screen. It's our scripture reading for this morning. It's on heaven. So I want you to concentrate on the scriptures about heaven as the offering is being received. Now, Father, we're grateful to come on the heels of just celebrating the Lord's table together. So great salvation. And we're just blessed, Father, that you would love us so much that you would have given us your son in our place, to die in our place, that we could go free. Help us never to be cavalier about that, to take that for granted, but to always be overwhelmed and melted down with such kind of love. And then, Father, many of us are in grief right now with Pastor Dick and Vicki as they're going through this unspeakable tragedy. And I pray, Lord, that you would go each step ahead of them to comfort them, to encourage them, to send the right people their way and to work through all the details that are still outstanding at this moment. And may they sense that there is a company of people that go beyond Erie that are lifting them up in prayer and are concerned about them even though they do not know them, that they are being supported and prayed for. And then, Father, as we talk about heaven today, we're grateful to know that's our final destination. That's where we're going as Christians. And we're so glad to know that you've revealed what's going to be in the Word of God. And we, we're going to turn there in just a few moments. And I pray that you would speak loudly to every heart today. And then, Father, thank you for the bounty that you supply us and earning the income to let you know how much we love you and to crown you as king as we bow before you and serve you with our offerings that the gospel of Christ could be stewarded around the world because we continue to give faithfully here on the home front. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, church, this is my one-year anniversary Sunday at Old North Church, and I just wanted to tell you how much of a blessing you've all been to me in one year. It, it, it went far and beyond what I had imagined this would all be about, and the blessing and the kind of church that you are is it, just a great thing, and uh, I want you to know as I'm coming to speak on heaven that we're now a year closer to going to heaven, too, so uh, I've got two questions for you. The first one is, how many would like to go to heaven? May I see your hands? Okay, it looks pretty unanimous to me. Second question, how many want to go today? May I see your hands? Ah, not nearly as unanimous, yeah. Let me tell you, that's quite normal. And I'm, I'm not going to raise my hand on that second question because I want to be around for a little while yet, okay? And I'm sure many of you do, and that's okay. Now, I can't prove what I'm going to say, but I think it's kind of a uh, a, a hidden reality that there's some kind of sensor in us called a heaven sensor. And it doesn't activate till a little bit later on in life. And I can tell you for me right now, it's not activated. I want some more years with my wife. And I want some more years with my grandchildren. And I want a, a lot of things to happen yet. And then eventually, I think that sensor kicks in. And when does that sensor kick in? Kind of in your 70s and 80s. When you kind of feel a little bit older and things aren't working the way you want, it's mainly maintenance and repair on the body, and you've lost a lot of family and friends and relatives and all those kinds of things, and all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, Lord, I'm looking forward to seeing you, and I'm looking forward to going home. That's the heaven sensor kicking on. But the reality is, whether we're old or young, every one of us is but one heartbeat away from eternity. One heartbeat, no matter how old we are, from eternity. And the reality is that most people aren't prepared to go there. And the other reality is there are most Christians have a fuzzy concept about what eternity and heaven is all about. And they've gotten that through secular means. They've gotten that through basically the lasting influence of the Middle Age and Renaissance art and those kinds of things. And you need to know the only way to know about heaven. The only certainties there are about heaven are in the Word of God, like we saw from that video. And so today, we're going to turn to the Word of God, and I, I hope that maybe some of the assumptions or misunderstandings that you've had about heaven or the fuzzy thinking you might have about heaven is going to be cleared up. And I pray that you will be motivated and excited about what the Word of God has to say about where we are heading. And so here's the big idea of my sermon. As Bible-believing Christians, we need to know the, the biblical truth about heaven. We shouldn't look any other place. We don't need extra biblical ideas and sources. We need to know right out of the Bible what it says about heaven, even though it might seem a little bit different than what the opinions and sources we might have held in the past. Now, there is far more about heaven than I can talk about in one sermon. So what I've done is in the compass, I put in my sermon notes, and on the reverse side, I put a list of resources for you that you can look and go in. They're all wonderful. They're all really informative. And I would encourage you to pick one or two if you want to know more about where you're headed. That would be a good thing to do. But here we go today, this sermon. Nine biblical truths about heaven. Biblical truth number one. The current heaven is not the permanent abode of God nor of those who will spend eternity with him. Yes, you heard me correctly. 
The current heaven is not the personal abode of God, nor of those who will spend eternity with Him. Now, lest you think at the beginning that I'm leading into some kind of cult teaching, no, I am not. You're going to understand what the Bible has to say by the time I'm done this first biblical truth. But as best we understand things, most people, if you say, where is heaven and is it going to be the heaven that will always be? And they're going to say, yeah, that, that's the permanent heaven. No, the current heaven is a temporary heaven. And it's not what the Bible teaches to be the final state. As best we know, the heaven that exists now has existed for eternity past. It's the place of God's current abode. It's the place that was there before and during and following creation. It's the place where God is and where Christ and the myriads are right now. It's the place of the departed redeemed of the ages. But it will not be the final place where God dwells. It will not be the final place where the heavenly hosts dwell. It will not be the final place where the saints of the ages and redeemed will be. God, God has another plan. We will spend eternity in a final heaven. And so theologians often call the current heaven the intermediate state or the intermediate heaven because it's not the final destination. If you will, it's kind of temporary. Now we know that the Bible teaches that the current heavens and earth as we now know them will pass away. It does not tell us what will happen with the current heaven. We do not know what's going to happen there. But we are told that when the current heavens and earth pass away, that the Lord will create a brand new heaven and earth in which we will live forever with God, and God will dwell among us there for eternity. And so Revelation 21 talks a little bit about that heaven. It says it will be a cubed city. It will be called the New Jerusalem, the Bride of the Lamb. It will be absolutely exquisite in its features. It is the place that Christ went to in John 14, where he is now preparing many rooms for us. And at the appointed time, the old heaven and the old earth will pass away, and this new city will come down out of heaven from God to the new heaven and the new earth, an appearance as a bride. And so, we're not going to live in the current heaven forever. We're headed for a forever new city on a forever new earth. And if you want to know some about what that's going to be, the classic passages are Revelation chapter 1 through Revelation chapter 22 and verse 5. And as our final home, I would encourage that someday or many days you study there. And by the way, the descriptions in that place would make a great HGTV special. Biblical truth number two. And for the rest of my sermon, basically, I'm going to be talking about the current heaven. The current heaven is a fabulous, actual reality. Even though there will be a new heaven and a new earth in the final eternal state, the current heaven is what we're tuned to now. It's the most talked about heaven in the Bible. The current heaven is an actual, overwhelmingly beautiful, incredible place. It's not some spiritual metaphor. It's not some notion. And even though it is invisible to our eyes, it's the very best actual realm of existence in the entire universe. There is nothing that could ever compare to heaven in its beauty and splendor. Even though the current heaven does not have the materialistic characteristics of earth. 
it is nonetheless a time and space reality. And we get some hints of that from different passages. For instance, Revelation 8.1, it says, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Revelation 7.15 says the tribulation martyrs serve God day and night. So we know there's time in this realm. What about space? Well, I believe we're talking about actualities in the Bible, not just metaphors, about things like this as well. We're talking about a throne of God. We're talking about an altar. We're talking about the Ark of the Covenant. We're talking about myriads and throngs standing around the throne, all kinds of things that require space. So we're talking about a time-space reality, which begs the question then, where is heaven? Well, we make a mistake to believe that heaven is a geographical place beyond the universe. Scientists continue to discover stars that are so far out there and galaxies billions and billions and billions of miles away. We are not to think that heaven is beyond that. It simply isn't true. And also, when you're on a globe like the earth, which way is up? And so we have to think of heaven in a different realm. We have the wrong conception to think it is geographically beyond the solar system. In fact, heaven is in another and actual realm that coexists with the realm of earth and our normal human perspective. Perceptions. For instance, in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 17, we are taken to a different realm. And on a mountain, Elijah could see, excuse me, Elisha could see that there was an army, an actual army there that was incredible, but his servant couldn't see it. And so Elisha prayed that his eyes would be open to the actual dimension of reality he could not see. And his eyes were open and he saw the army. Stephen. Deacon Stephen, one of the first seven deacons in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, he was being martyred, and all of a sudden, he could see what nobody else could see, the reality of heaven. And he said in Acts 7, 55 and 56, I see the heavens opened up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Heaven, my friends, is a very real place of another dimension that coexists in the universe. It is actual. It can be visible. It's close. And one of the best analogies that I have come up with, anybody ever see Field of Dreams? Okay, a, a good iconic movie about baseball. Ray Kinsella could see into another dimension that other people could not see. And eventually, others were privileged as well to see into that dimension. And as it were, heaven is like that to us. It is there. It is around us. We cannot see it. We cannot access it. But it is there nonetheless in a beautiful realm that one day when we really get to see it, we'll go, whoa, this is incredible. Well, let me go on. Reality number three. Christians who die go immediately to the current heaven, but they will not have bodies until the resurrection. Folks, this is such comforting truth. To know that when you die as a Christian or a loved one or family dies as a Christian, you're going to know exactly what's going on. In fact, the Word of God says the moment a believer dies in Christ, they enter the presence of God in heaven. They don't go to some netherworld. They don't go into soul sleep. The Word of God teaches that their spirits go immediately into the presence of the Lord while their bodies await on earth for the resurrection. 
You want some proof about where our spirits go? Well, when Jesus was on the cross with a dying thief, Jesus was dying, the thief was dying, and this is what Christ said. This day, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus would be alert in spirit, and so would the dying thief. And Paul. He said that he had a desire to depart and be with Christ. And he said, that would be so much better. But then he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, that to be absent from the body in spirit is to be at home or present with the Lord in heaven. So when we die, our spirits go directly and immediately and alertly into the presence of God in heaven. But you need to know that the plan of God for us involves all of us, not just our spirit, but our bodies as well. And so there's going to be a resurrection. Our spirit goes to heaven first, and then later on in the plan of God, he comes and he rescues our body from the ashes, and we will be raised in the last resurrection when Christ comes again. And at that time, Our spirits in heaven will join our bodies on earth and we will be reunited with our bodies and with other loved ones and believers in Christ and we will live forever with the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So believer in Christ, the moment you die, the angels transport your spirit into the presence of God in heaven and then at the end of this age, God will raise your body and you will live with God in heaven forever in your resurrected body joined to your spirit. Which leads me to biblical truth number four. People in heaven have some knowledge about what's happening on earth. You ever wonder if grandma knows what's going on, who's gone ahead, what happens here on earth and those kinds of things? Let me tell you, there are notices in the Bible that say people in heaven have some knowledge of what happens here on earth. Now, I don't believe they have access to our private lives. They cannot see what we do in secret. And some of you are going, dodging a bullet here. Uh, but I do believe they can see certain things and heaven understands what's going on on earth. For instance, 1 Samuel chapter 28. The prophet Samuel had died, and King Saul was in a jam, and so he wants to know what in the wide world to do, and so he decides to conjure up Samuel from the dead. And Samuel is conjured from the dead, and guess what Samuel knows? Not only is he awake in death, in a departed place where he is enjoying the amenities of that place, he also knows what's going on on earth and is able to advise Saul, and unfortunately Saul has a bad outcome from that. Well, let's also go to Luke chapter 15 and verse 7. It says there's joy in heaven when a sinner repents. And I firmly believe from that notice there where it talks about the joy in heaven that when somebody on earth comes to know Christ as personal Savior, everybody knows in heaven who that person is and there is a party. They're having a great time. Now, I can't prove what I'm going to say, but I'm not so sure I'm far off. When on earth there is a graduation or a wedding or a baptism or some other fine thing, I believe it is quite possible, given the admissible evidence of other things people know about earth from heaven, that those people probably are admitted to the understanding of what's going on there. And I think there's a joy in heaven and a joy on earth at the same time. Which leads me to biblical truth number five. We will see and recognize each other in heaven. 
We will see and recognize each other in heaven. Now, this was a burning question in the early church. They thought that they would be alive until the coming of Christ. And what began to happen is the years started to roll by and people in their church, their loved ones, their friends, their fellow people at church started to die. And they're thinking, oh my goodness, will I ever see the people that I love and have lost again. And Paul said, you know what, I need to teach you about that. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, we're told that when the Lord comes again, even though someone has died, they will be with him and he will bring with them, with him when he comes in the clouds and he will resurrect us on the earth and we will be together joining forces forever and ever. We will be together with the Lord. We will not lose them to eternal death and never see them again. And he wanted that to be comforting to us. So that we needed to know, not only will we see them again, but we will recognize who they are. And what a comfort that is. Look at some more evidence about that. When Jesus rose from the dead, he had a, resurrection, a resurrected body that was recognizable. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that more than 500 at one time recognized him. And then it also goes on to say that when we get our body, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, is that we will have a body like his glorious body, and if Jesus was recognized, so will we be recognized. And the good news is this. When it's all said and done, and we all get to heaven, we will see and recognize those that we loved here on earth who knew Jesus Christ. And the big question then will be, at what age will we be then? What stage will we be then? Now, there's a group of people who have written, say, well, we'll probably all be age 33. Why do you suppose that might be? Well, that's the, the alleged age where Christ died. But we don't know what that is. We don't know what age we're going to be. And so that's just conjecture. But I do know this. I do know this. We're all going to look good. We're all going to be airbrushed spiritually. Talk about a dream body. Somebody came up to me after the first service and said, I'll finally have my six-pack of abs. And he said, nobody will care. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so we're going to have our perfect body minus pride. That's going to be good. And we won't have to spend any money for this body. We won't need surgery. And the good news, especially for Americans who love the emphasis on the body, we're all going to look good and we'll get to know each other because we'll recognize them. This truth was brought home to me a couple years ago. My father was killed 19 years ago in a car truck accident. And a couple years ago, I was in a restaurant. And as I was eating, I looked across over several tables and I said, that is my father. I couldn't believe the resemblance. The build was my father's. The beard was my father's. The crazy hat was my father's. The way he ate was my father. And I had this desire to get up and tap him on the shoulder. And I said, hey, mister, you look like my father. Can I give you a big bear hug? I didn't do that. But I can tell you one day, I'll see my dad again, and he's going to get a big bear hug. And when you get there and you see your loved ones and relatives, you're going to be hugging for the first thousand years. It's going to be so good to recognize and see each other again. Which leads me to biblical truth number six. And this may be a surprise to you. There is sorrow in the current heaven, but not in the final heaven. Yes, you heard me. There is sorrow in the current heaven, 
but not in the final heaven. And I believe that most people think that as soon as you go to heaven, everything bad, all sorrow, all heartache is gone. That's not true. The Bible tells us that God sorrows over the sin of the world today. The Bible tells us that when Jesus Christ was in heaven and Paul was persecuting the church, he felt the pain of that persecution and he got a hold of Paul and he told him so in Acts chapter 9. Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. We know from heaven that Christ had issues with the church on earth and it pained him. We also know that in the tribulation, God in his wrath in heaven is going to bring the tribulation and the trumpets and so forth judgments upon the earth. Don't get me wrong. Heaven's a great place right now. There's no sin there. There's no war there. There are no tragedies. But there are heartaches there. There are sorrows there. And heaven aches with the concern of lost people on this planet. And one day, when we stand before the Lord in the, in the great, uh, in the, uh, the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, and we realize where we have sinned and erred before the Lord, we're going to feel some pain emotionally. We're going to feel some sorrow. But listen, here's the good news. The good news is that God in the final heaven will get rid of all sorrow and all heartache. That will happen when the new earth is created. And listen to this laundry list right here. Revelation 21 tells us at that time, everything that's not good will be gone forever for the redeemed. I mean, think about it. No more hair loss. No more weight gain. No more wrinkles. No more disease. No more handicaps. No more hospitals. No more accidents. No more crime. No more drugs. No more war. No more broken homes. No more depression. No more sin. No more death. No more funerals. No more tears. Is there an amen out there somewhere? (laughs) That's what we're looking for. That's going to be the reality in the new heaven and the new earth. Well, that leads me to biblical truth number seven. People in heaven will have plenty to do. Do you know what some people are afraid of in this life? That they will be bored in the next. That they're going to an eternal church service. (laughs) That they're going to be in retirement spiritually and they're not going to know what to do. I'm going to change that for you right now. I'm going to clear that there's going to be so much. You're going to love it. Number one, we're going to worship. I mean, we're going to worship like we never did before. We're going to be so overcome with God when we see him face to face that I think the first 100,000 years will be on our faces before him worshiping before we get into anything else. But let's go on. We're going to meet people up there, and it's going to take a long time. Who do you think we're going to meet? Well, listen to this. We're going to meet all the famous people of the Bible, We're going to meet all the people listed in the genealogies. We're going to meet all the people in the Bible stories. We're going to meet all the millions of believers that have already gone to heaven in the past centuries. We're going to meet all the millions of believers who are currently alive and all the millions of believers who are yet to come, and we're going to have a long time in heaven meeting people. But if that weren't enough, we're going to meet the heavenly created beings. We're going to meet the archangels Michael and Gabriel. 
We're going to meet the myriads of angels, I think, name by name, one by one. We're going to meet the cherubim and the seraphim. We're going to meet the 24 elders and the four living creatures. We're going to meet all the other incredible created beings of God, one by one in heaven. It's going to be a long time that we'll be doing that. Get ready. And then number four, we're going to do some learning. If you think the moment you go into heaven, the Lord puts a computer chip somewhere in your spirit or body and says, now you know everything, that's not going to happen. We are going to be at the feet of the Savior for eternity, and he's going to teach us and teach us and teach us. And one of the things he's going to teach us is the significance of the Old Testament that speaks about Christ so amply and so incredibly that we don't understand now. All the feasts, all the tabernacle points, all those kinds of things speak of Christ, and we're going to learn that. And then we're going to learn about how this world really got into existence. And we're going to find out there are no evolutionists in heaven. They are all creationists. And they're all going to be praising the Lord saying, The Lord God Almighty in His purpose and His wisdom and His power made all these things. And we're going to be shouting glory, hallelujah. And then we're going to learn every verse of the Bible by heart. And then we're going to learn every song I think that's ever been written throughout the ages. And we're just getting started. Oh, we won't be bored up there. And then the final thing about what we're going to be doing out of many things I could add is we're going to govern up there. We're going to govern with the Lord because the Word of God says that heaven is the coming kingdom of God. And it also says in Revelation 5 and 20 and 22 that we are going to rule and reign with Christ in this new place. Just think of it, folks. Finally, honest and moral politicians... You and me will be there. And also, it'll be okay to pray in schools. And it'll be okay to put the Ten Commandments and the major scenes in the town squares. And there'll be no ACLU to take us on. Pretty good deal to me. And so, heaven, for starters, you won't be bored. It's going to be an interesting, incredibly productive place. And you will never grow old. And you will never grow tired. Moving on to biblical truth number eight. We're going to enjoy some amenities in heaven that we enjoy on earth. I kind of like that. I kind of know and and I'm glad that there's some things that we experience in this realm that are going to carry over to the next. You say, well, what kind of things might they be? Well, let me tell you. Music and singing, for one. Heaven is going to be an iPad or iPod paradise. There's going to be really incredible, all the music. And we're going to sing and hear the best music ever created. And guess what? There'll be no worship wars in heaven. We won't be fighting over the kind of music as a contemporary or traditional, whatever that. Do you know what we're going to be singing? The music God likes up there, not the music that we like. And if it's the music God likes, we're all going to like it. It's going to be incredible. And so we'll be singing and praising and enjoying heaven and its music. Another thing we're going to enjoy, and I'm kind of really happy about this, Food. Anybody like food? I like food. There's some hints and notices in the Bible that we're going to be eating in heaven. For instance, Jesus, John chapter 21, in his resurrected body, he was enjoying breakfast with the people. And then I think about coming to the table today. There was not an idle promise when the Lord said, in that day, I won't eat again of this meal until that day. And you need to know that the meal they had was not a little piece of cracker and a little bit of juice. It was a full meal, a full meal deal. And here's the good thing about the food in heaven. No calories, no cholesterol. 
going to be a good deal. Well, you might be thinking, well, what about animals? Will we have pets in heaven? I, I, I don't know. I just know this, that finally in heaven I'll get rid of all the moles and the voles in my backyard, and that's going to be a good thing. But the Bible teaches there's going to be animals in the last uh, uh, state that we have. Isaiah chapter 11 says there's going to be wolves and lambs and leopards and goats and cows and lions and bears and oxen, even snakes, <laughs> which I hate, snakes. But listen, if animals were so important in God's first creation, do you not think that animals are going to be so essential in God's second creation? And besides, with our animals, no more potty trading, no more messes, no more bites. Well, you say, well, what about sports? Well, I'm not so sure about sports in heaven. Even though the Bible talks about tennis, Joseph served in Pharaoh's court, and auto racing, the sound of David's triumph was heard throughout the land. How can you have sports in heaven without competition? I mean, every time you play golf, hole in one, there's no fun in that. Every time you step up to play baseball and you hit a home run, no fun in that. Every time you're in basketball, three-point shot, no fun in that. But now I know, I think you wonder, what about this one? What about the big one? What about marriage? What about sex? Well, the Bible teaches there's going to be marriage in heaven. Jesus will be married to his bride, the church. But Jesus also said in the Gospels, for instance, Mark 12, 25, that there'll be no marriage between people in our resurrected bodies. And of course, that means no sex. To which some of you are saying, bummer, and others are saying, yes. <laughs> but not all is lost. C.S. Lewis comments about the disappointment some feel about no sex in heaven. He talks about a small boy who's told that the sexual act is the highest of bodily pleasures. But the boy thinks there can be nothing better than chocolate. So Lewis says, the boy knows chocolate. He does not know the positive thing that excludes it. We are in the same position. We know the sexual life. We do not know the other thing which in heaven will leave no room for it. I was at my small group meeting a few years ago back in Erie when the hostess brings out a cake and she says, this cake is called better than sex cake. I had some of it and quite frankly it was overrated. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you that when Jesus takes us as his bride in heaven, the intimacy he has in mind for us will be so much better than sex. Which leads me to biblical truth number nine. The greatest thing about heaven is God. The greatest thing about heaven is God. No question it's going to be a great place. No question that it will completely far outstrip the greatest resort we know here on earth. No question that we'll be thrilled with the reunion with our loved ones and all the comforts of heaven affords. No question that it's going to be a great, great place to be, but you cannot lose this sight. Our focus cannot be on the amenities of heaven. It will be on God himself because what makes heaven heaven is the presence of God. Everything else is just icing on the cake. In my lifetime, I've had the privilege of being in many, many fine places overnight. A few years ago, I was on the shores of the Potomac in a mansion, and I was not with my wife, Marie. 
And the whole time I was there in this beautiful mansion overlooking the Potomac, I kept on saying, I wish she were here. I wish she were here. It was hollow without her there. And the same thing is true for heaven. In fact, Samuel Rutherford said, Oh, my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without thee, it would be hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee, still it would be heaven for me, for thou art all the heaven I want. My friends, the essence of heaven is God, not its splendor. And it's okay to want to be in a wonderful place, but while it strips everything else, is that God is there. And when we stand in heaven, we won't be looking at the streets of gold because they're going to be just like asphalt to us down here. We're going to be looking into his face and we will not be able to turn our gaze aside. Heaven is heaven because Christ is there. And every sinless good you could imagine will be in heaven, but heaven's greatest jewel is God himself. And when we get there and we see his phenomenal glory, we will rivet our gaze on him and never be disappointed, and everything else about heaven will pale in distinction. Well, I've tried to give you today some basic information and, and, and insight about heaven to sensitize your heart about going home there. Because, you see, God made us for himself. He wants to dwell, us to dwell with him forever, forever, and heaven is supposed to be our destiny, and the greatest day of our lives will be our entrance there. But now as I close, please don't miss this. Our existence on earth is to prepare us for eternity. That's why we are here. And the tragedy Jesus said of all tragedies is that if you would gain this earth and lose your soul would be the greatest tragedy there could be. And so C.S. Lewis picked up on this, and he was so right when he said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get Neither. We do not have a second chance after this life to receive Christ. We do it now or never. And if we're going to go on to the next life, we must ask Christ into our hearts in this life and to ask Jesus to forgive us our sins and to pardon us from hell and to open heaven's gates. And the Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so as I close today, I'm asking, are you certain where you're going to spend eternity? Have you ever asked Jesus Christ into your life? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you are a born-again Christian and that heaven is your home? And if you have the slightest of doubts or if you already know that you do not know Christ, I'm going to ask you as we sing this last song to come to the front. Our elders will be down here. We've got booklets to give you. We want to explain to you so that you know for sure that when you leave here today, you know that you are going to heaven. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we sing, and then I'm going to pray. And I'm not asking you to do anything. You may stand right now. I'm not asking you to do anything I didn't do. When I was in high school, I walked a trail, a sawdust trail and a tent revival, and I gave my heart to Christ, and I'm so thankful that I did. And so today, if you have the slightest doubt about where you will spend eternity, I'm going to invite you to come and we'll share so that you might know exactly where you can go when you die. Now, our Father... I pray that you would have spoken to somebody's heart today, that as we gathered here today and talked about this vast and great subject of heaven, that somewhere along the line, somebody's heart not only rejoices to know that's what lies ahead, but also that somebody might say, I don't know that I know my way there. I want to know for sure today. I pray they would come forward and find that great news.
In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. You come as we sing, if you're not sure.